Welcome to the Commission Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Bryant, and every month I coach you to develop leaders like Jesus did by examining how he interacted with five groups of people, the lost, the crowds, the followers, the disciples, and the leaders. At Commission Leadership, it's our mission to provide connection and coaching for pastors. We help leaders like you take a biblical approach to leadership development so you can lead like Jesus, find more volunteers, and develop leaders from the crowd. Thanks for listening to the Commission Leadership Podcast. My name is Wes Bryant. I'm your coach, and here's what I promise you going into this episode that's going to be different from a lot of talks you've probably heard about discipleship. I promise I'm not going to say the obvious, that Jesus chose 12 disciples and taught them to obey the Father, and so you should also choose a small group of people whom you can teach to obey Jesus. Now, I'm going to start there because this idea is biblical, and I'm going to show you where this comes from in Scripture, but I want to expand on this idea throughout this episode and explore how Jesus' relationship with the 12 disciples actually contributed to his style of leadership development. And we're going to do this so that you can discern how God would have you develop leaders from the crowds of people who attend your church each week. If you've been listening, you know that this episode is part four in a five-part series about our biblical framework for leadership development that we use throughout this podcast and also in our one-on-one coaching. This framework is based off of the five groups of people that we see Jesus interacting with throughout the Gospels, the lost, the crowd, the followers, the disciples, and the leaders. In each episode in this series, we've identified a key characteristic of each group in the framework, along with the primary movement we see in the relationship with Jesus. To recap, the movement that we see happening in the first three groups is this. The lost are found, the crowds gather, and the followers believe. Today, we're going to examine the fourth group in the framework, the disciples. At this point in the framework, it can get a little bit confusing because the words followers and disciples are used throughout the New Testament to describe the same group of people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and devoted their lives to learning from him. We talked about this last time. People literally left their families, their work, in order to follow Jesus throughout his ministry as he traveled. So I don't want to confuse you in this episode by thinking that there is this distinct group of believers, you know, known as the disciples, right? So you have your followers and then above them are the disciples who are maybe more mature or more devoted. That's not the case at all, okay? I want to be clear that all followers of Jesus are disciples and all disciples of Jesus are our followers. That is a biblical concept. However, just for clarity in this episode and how we use this framework in our coaching, I want to distinguish the 12 disciples from the hundreds of followers that were with Jesus during his ministry. And the key characteristic that sets the 12 disciples apart from the followers is this. 
the 12 disciples were specifically selected by Jesus. And we see this in Luke 6, verses 6 through 12, which says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Most people, including myself, for many years, we read this text and jump to what seems to be the obvious conclusion. If Jesus chose 12 people to learn from him as he obeyed the Father, then naturally I should choose a small group of people to learn from me as I follow Jesus. And while I wasn't wrong in this thinking, I think that's a natural application of reading Luke 6, verses 6 through 12, it's only part of the equation when it comes to making disciples. Because Discipleship is so much more nuanced than just teaching a group of people who are a few steps behind you in their walk with Jesus. So while it's true that the characteristic that set the 12 disciples apart from other followers is that, yes, Jesus prayerfully chose them, we're missing the point of discipleship if we don't take time to understand the movement that's taking place in the relationship between Jesus and the Twelve. And I think Jesus best explains this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In this biblical framework for leadership development, the lost are found, the crowds gather, the followers believe, and the disciples love. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And like I said before, it's completely true that followers are disciples and disciples are followers. And yes, Jesus loves all of us the same. Here's what we see taking place in Jesus' earthly ministry. As a human being, it's not possible to love hundreds of followers in the same way that you can love and serve a smaller group of people. So Jesus chose 12 people whom he could love on this earth in the same way that the Father loved him. I think that because we live in a culture that values education as much as we do, and where we have endless information at our fingertips through our smartphones and the internet, we sometimes approach discipleship as a time to teach people about God, but we don't provide experiences that allow them to fall in love with God as they learn about him.
Let's imagine for a moment that you're looking to fall in love with someone. So you create an account on a dating app. In the beginning, you're looking at different people's profiles and you're learning about what makes each person unique. And you find someone you're attracted to that you have a lot in common with. And so for days, you read through their profile, checking out their pictures, learning more and more about them until eventually you decide, hey, I love this person. And you ask them to marry you. What a weird (laughs) experience that would be, right? That's not actually how online dating works. It's much more personal than that, isn't it? You may start by learning about someone and the things that you have in common by looking at their profile, but eventually you reach out to them to make a connection. You might spend some time chatting online as you get to know each other and maybe have a few conversations on the phone. I know that that's becoming less popular uh, especially with Gen Z, uh, even a little bit with millennials like myself. But but truth be told, whether or not you want to talk on the phone, uh, eventually you're going to decide to get together on a date. And one experience together turns into another, which turns into another and another. And eventually you realize, I love this person. And I want to have more experiences with them and nobody else, like getting married and raising a family. This is what discipleship in God's kingdom looks like. Before you just go out and try to choose people from your ministry whom you can disciple, you have to prayerfully ask, God, of all of the followers in my church and ministry, Who are you calling me to love right now? And maybe an equally important question is this. God, who are the people who will love me like you do so I can know you more fully? The lost are found. The crowds gather. The followers believe. And the disciples love. Jesus modeled this throughout the Gospels, and we see this beautiful picture of discipleship in Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Can you see the framework in action? Jesus is going from town to town, seeking and saving the lost, drawing out followers from the crowds, And he's allowing the 12 disciples, along with a small handful of women, to experience all of this with him. He's teaching them how to obey the Father and participate in his kingdom's work. And he's not doing this in sort of top-down leadership structure. Notice what it says in verse 3. 
these women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's not just that Jesus loves these people. He's also allowing them to love and bless him and care for his needs while he carries out his ministry. So if you're a pastor on staff or an elder or maybe a volunteer small group leader, if you've been operating under this idea that because you're the leader of your ministry, that you must choose a group of people to disciple, I want to challenge you to expand your thinking around this idea like we've talked about so far. Because if you only choose people who are a few steps behind you in their journey with Jesus, for you to disciple, you're only going to disciple them as far as you've gone in your relationship with Jesus and to the depth of your own spiritual and emotional maturity. You may be the most gifted teacher on earth, but if you can't help people practice God's presence together, or if you can't recognize your own emotions, much less the emotions of others, you're going to find yourself overwhelmed with stress and conflict as people in their flesh kind of naturally jockey for status within a group. Jesus dealt with this all the time, so why wouldn't we expect the same? Like I said at the beginning, I'm not going to tell you to choose a group of people from your ministry whom you can personally disciple. However, I am going to encourage you to prayerfully choose people from your church who will love you and whom God will use to teach you to love like Jesus, because I know that you're going to be working to do the same in their lives. And here's, I think, a very important part in this process. You need to ask God to reveal people who are at different stages of maturity in their walk with him and who have different spiritual gifts, because this is how the body is built up. Don't make the mistake of having all the closest people in your life be people who look up to you as the leader or the expert of the group. It will only inflate your ego and you won't experience true vulnerability with other followers of Jesus. So here's your next step if you feel led and you're willing. I want you to take this month and commit an extended amount of time to pray. You know your prayer rhythms and what that best looks like, so I'm not going to dictate that for you. But take take specific time and pray about what we've talked about today. Because I'm a coach, I'm going to push you a little bit right now and ask you to get specific and, and take out your calendar or or whatever systems you use for accountability and write it down, make a note um, so that you'll stay committed to this. And I want you to take this month and pray that God would reveal the disciples in your life, people who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and people who love you 
as he does. And that he would bless you with the opportunity to do the same for them. I also want to say one one little thing with this as well. Don't get pigeonholed into the idea that it has to be the same group of people that share all of the same rhythms. I think there's actually value in having disciples in different contexts of life. So like for me, um, you know, I've met disciples from my church, from other churches as, as I've moved to different places. Um, obviously, um, they've not come with me, but I've still stayed in touch and I I still know Jesus better because of their love and influence in my life. And so expand your thinking there as well, if you're willing. So again, take this next month to pray. And as far as next steps beyond that and the experiences that God is going to lead you and these disciples on together, I trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal that to you in his time and his way. Thanks for listening today. As always, I appreciate the time you give to this podcast. If it's been a value to you, I would love it if you'd share it with another leader in the church. And next month, I hope you'll join me as we discuss the final part of this biblical framework for leadership development, the leaders. Thanks for listening to the Commission Leadership Podcast. If you're looking to connect with other pastoral leaders and find support to become a more Christ-like leader, I want to invite you to become one of our monthly members. Memberships start at just $10 a month, and not only do you get to be a part of a monthly group leadership cohort with 10 to 15 other pastors, you also get personal bi-monthly coaching sessions with me to break through your greatest challenges in leadership. Plus, other great features like free podcasts behind the scenes, our monthly leadership newsletter, and discounts on every course we offer. And during our series on this biblical leadership framework, I'm offering a free limited-time trial membership to our listeners. Simply click the link in the description, and let's make it our goal to develop as leaders together.